This is an example of speech. All our history Welcome back to Tell Me What to Think. A free from oversight and free of charge, thoughtfully improvised, expletive deleted, details expanded, whistle blow hard, evergreen topical heat wave of an ongoing conversation, turned podcast, in which we discuss politics, global affairs, current events, and anything else that bubbles up from the unmoderated comment section in our brains. We urge you to join us and tell us what you think. Listen to the archives, go to stoneduckmedia.com or tell me what to think. You can contact us at tmwttpod at gmail.com. I'm producer Pete. You can contact me on Twitter at Bloated Nemesis. And your host is Charles Minnick, who is on Twitter at Green underscore Weird, which is spelled W-Y-R-D. This episode, Charles speaks with candidate for congressional office from Georgia's 4th District, Antonio Cortez Hicks. Prepare to get a righteous and reactionary. This is Tell Me What to Think. Propagation of the old voice network decision signed with a shake and a smirk. Centralized stage could turn a blind eye. Those who benefit never ask why. Tonight I have Antonio Cortez Hicks, candidate from Georgia's... CD4. Fourth Congressional District. Sorry, I was about to say five. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking your time taking time out of your schedule to uh, sit with or talk with me. Oh, that's no problem. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, I guess I'll start with the question I always ask everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does Green New Deal mean to your congressional district? Oh, you're jumping straight into policy. <laughs> well, I, I try to stick to policy and save the horse race for last. <laughs> <laughs> So for me, um, to my district, it means better jobs. So because since I grew up in the district, I'm, I'm running in, actually. So I don't actually I go around and give my high level progressive platform of, you know, everything everybody's going to everybody's heard on the campaign trail from all the, the, uh, the presidential candidates on top of the, the congressional candidates. But for me, the Green New Deal, because it means work back into the community itself. It means livable paying wages, like, you know, the universal basic income that you can get out of those jobs and actually turning the blue collar jobs that we lost here from like warehouse work and some construction work to actual renewable energy type stuff to where we can actually try to get some solar panels built back out here from so many abandoned warehouses that's taking place that's just been left over and yeah. use those skills to actually get them trained up for higher level IT skills. Yeah, that seems like a pretty easy transition. Not to mention, it's interesting that you mentioned that vacant commercial footprint. It'd be great to just plow it over and put some windmills up. Right. And that's why, you know, my platform is because it, for me, I can I've seen the ramifications of what it means to pull money out of a district. Because like I say my biggest part of my campaign now is just my even my campaign manager has me saying I'm homegrown hick. So for me, growing up here, I know what the community needs as opposed to coming here and, and just saying, you know, I think I want to have a progressive platform. But I'm like, OK, what does that mean? Like somebody's asked me, what does that mean for me? And how does it equate to dollars coming back into my household? So I'm like, we've lost, I mean, everybody's lost a ton of jobs across this sector, especially in the IT sector, because I'm, I'm IT. And I've seen what it happens as we continue to advance in technology. But I also know what's written in that Green New Deal 
and how we can benefit society as a whole on top of communities and getting people trained up for the jobs of today and the ones for tomorrow. Exactly. Uh, what kind of work do you think, besides the construction, is there any remediation work to be done in your district? Oh, man. man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we. So it's a big thing I have right now. Like the, So my county, the, my district consists of, it's DeKalb County, Gwinnett County, uh, Newton, and Rockdale. So I personally grew up in DeKalb County. And I say those counties to say that in DeKalb alone, we have had tons, tons of sewage spills into our watering system. So for me, the Green New Deal would help alleviate some of this stuff. So at least we can get better water. And then we can use some of the water to actually go, because we're about to Chattahoochee too. So we can get some uh, water power coming from that. We can have, the, like I said, the warehouse that's been abandoned because there's there's no work here anymore outside of our Emory healthcare systems. And it's like one Bell South business because we used to have uh, Southern Bell and then it's converted to Bell South within our, my district itself. But it's only one major office, but that's out in the rural, rural areas. We're not too many people in there. So probably no help with IT training, marketing skills, uh, the blue collar work transition over to solar panel um, creation to windmill, wind turbines and stuff. So it's a lot of things that you can actually take the whole Green New Deal and implement it out in my district itself. Right. Not to mention like individual house remediation. Those people with construction skills, that's like an easy transition. Right. And I'm like, it's, it's so that's why I'm like, I like the entire platform because for me, it's, it's not just about, I mean, it is about conserving energy and about renewable energy because the, I want my children and my children's children to have a planet to live on. But it's also about skills. And we've lost a ton of skills because as we grow as a society and we become more data centric, we the 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 clean coal industry as as someone has said clean coal industry is is <laughs> gone away so you have to get people ready for jobs of tomorrow and but the bulk of the jobs they're it jobs i mean of course we have our trade skills job but it now is considered a trade skill we need more electricians but even electricians have to learn it work sure. even plumbers they have to learn it stuff so we have to get people trained up and ready to go mm-hmm not to mention the other parts like Medicare for all and free college will also elevate the media industry. Oh God, yes, yes. Imagine what people can create if they're not worried about their next meal necessarily. Right, and I I know all about the college uh, college because I want my PhD and I want my PhD in IT security and this <laughs> I'm already in the hole. Oof. So I'm like, yeah, it, it is what it is. I just want to keep on just just going to school and just uh, getting an education. But yeah, the uh, to eliminate the student loan debt. That would help so many people out. And then they actually have community college set up to where it's free because they even have one like here, Atlanta Technical College. Which I think Georgia State College has bought out this college I kind of went to. Um, it was called Georgia Perimeter College. Atlanta Technical College get a lot of subsidies from the, the government itself. And it helps out. And it's really geared for low income families and people that are like poor. And what it does is the, the most debt you might come out with coming out of Atlanta Technical College is at least a thousand to two thousand dollars and that's it if any at all and that's it right it's like, amazing we we need that across the board for community college now i understand that most colleges they want to be privatized for like the university and stuff and i understand that but i'm like you can at least give people an option give them something to do to expand upon their education sure uh, i don't understand how these why these universities would be so resistant other than just legacy injuries well, I'm trying to understand why does the cost of tuition continue to go up and they get grants and stuff from the government for the research and development departments. And I'm like, enrollment has not been down because we've encouraged as a nation, we've encouraged our kids. Like my parents told me, you got to go to college and get a good job. So enrollment has been skyrocketing. So 
So like if enrollment is up, you're still getting money from the government. Why does the cost of tuition continue to, to go up? Well, they know how much people are willing to pay for it. So. Right. So you're going by a name. So really, it's almost like you're going by a brand itself and what their brand could potentially get you. But if that's the case, what happened to the people that can't afford those schools? Well, it's a naturally segment society, unfortunately. Right. Ugh. Yeah, I've seen similar. I don't know. I've spent uh, four years in Georgia myself, and that helped me see my whole, whole state a lot differently. Because I knew, having lived elsewhere, Wisconsin was incredibly racist, and then came back here to Wisconsin after living in Georgia to, you know, as with the br- bright, fresh eyes of a 23 year old to stare it dead in the face. And, like, this lack of opportunity is basically, I've talked to candidates across the country, and it's in every district. <laughs> It, it is, it's, and it's sad because even if you look out in the rural areas, and this is something I had explained to the Democratic Party here, and I even you know highlighted some of the stuff from the, um, the Republican Party, I'm like, nobody really goes out into the rural areas or the low-income areas that they would consider like um, your projects or I guess the, uh, the, just the poor communities. And I'm like, but the problem is that's what feeds a lot of money back into your economy because they don't have as much money. So when they get their tax return checks or they get some exorbitant amount of money. They go out and spend that. So I'm like, why wouldn't you want to nurture those people and actually help them to advance? Because if they see the benefits of what they're doing and actually the tax they're spending into the paying back into the government and how it can benefit them more and help them out, it will actually look better for them and their system. Like the Democratic Party, I had to talk to them about because they wanted, they were saying how to expand out their local party line, and they wanted to come to the area where I grew up at. And I said, well, first of all, you have to show up. And I was like, even in, it's not even just a, a not just talk about the black, low income black areas, but low income white areas like your trailer parks and some of the low income places like that. Nobody shows up in those areas. And I live in a rural area where it's like goats down the street for me. But the person that does and the person that won the election last time, Trump supporters, they are on almost every corner out here. When it's almost time for him to push something or he's in the state, they have the corner packed out with billboards and signs for him, handing out flyers giving out hats and, and, and flags and stuff. Holy and I'm like, you know, you should practice the same thing. Because even when I'm out canvassing, I know it's a little offside the, t- the topic of policy oh, you want to ask me. <laughs> but I'm like, when I'm out canvassing, I go to like clubs and stuff and I go to bars. Right. And they were surprised. Even the people I was talking to, they said, I'm surprised. I've never seen a candidate out here. I'm like, why not? I'm like, if we're such in the Bible, Bill, I'm like, Jesus went where, where, you, where everybody was at. So I'm like, I'm practicing, I guess, the same thing Jesus did. If you're having a drink, I'm having a drink. Let's talk policy and let's talk about how the system is screwing you over and how it can help you if you uh, actually use the system to benefit you. Right. That's basic consumer politics. Go to where the people are. Right. Uh, I was talking to Chris Armitage, and he brought up Tom Foley, who, uh, when he was Speaker of the House, basically knew every bar in his district of eastern Washington. Which, That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. But um, because, knocking on doors, I mean, it, it works and it doesn't work. And then, like most communities, especially like in black communities, like a lot of us avoid the doors because we think it's what a Jehovah Witness or somebody trying to sell something. So I'm like, so, you know, at least if you show up to where a club is at or a restaurant or even grocery stores where everybody's going to, it'll actually benefit you a whole lot more than trying to hit every single door. Right. To get people who will avoid that in every other context. Right. <clears throat> uh, well, I guess uh, it's... So what kind of uh, <laughs> campaigning else are you doing besides... 
So for me, I'm you know I, I I've been told I'm fighting a giant, and I'm like I don't care about fighting giants. I fought giants in my my life before because the combat I'm going against has been here for 14 years, and it's it to me it's sad because like I said, me being from here, he's not from here. None of the none of the people running the race are from here. I knew him before he became a congressman, and I'm not going to beat him down because at least he did vote party line. But when it came back to actually feeding back into community, that never took place. And so when I'm out on my campaign trails, the, people, the biggest people I have to fight against are like establishment people here within the state. For the Democratic Party line, even I had even had to deal with the NAACP because everybody's gotten so comfortable and so used to the incumbent being in place. In the office, they're telling me, it's like, well, who are you to challenge this guy? Who are you and where you coming from? And I say, I come from here, actually. I'm like, hey, I was born here. I was born here in Georgia and I was raised in this district. And then when I tell them that, they get quiet. Because I'm like, <laughs> you, you can't tell me how great the house is if I'm living in a house and I got holes in my wall. So I was like, so <laughs> it's kind of hard for you to sell me on something if I actually see it for what it is. Right. No so, people are I've been that. out connecting to the people. So I hate when people ask me, well, how much money have you raised? Even though money does play a factor when you're trying to get flyers and you want to pay, pay some staff. I'm like, the biggest thing that you can invest in is investing people because that's really what's been missing. People have been forgot about investing back into people itself. And that's been a major part of what I've been doing. That's why I say I, I go to the bars or I just talk to random people wherever they are. Even like the, the I was at the NAACP um, MLK parade. And I'm not going to get to the details of how I got, um, I kind of got screwed over on that. But it actually gave me an avenue to actually see, talk to everybody one-on-one -on -one that was out on the side of the roads watching the parade itself. So I had my campaign manager, she was with me and she drove my car. Unfortunately, I had some flyers and I had um, posters and stuff in my car. So I did de decorate my car a little bit. Would like to have done more, but nevertheless, I decorated my car a little bit. And she drove the car while I actually handed out um, my bracelets and just, you know, Team Hicks swag and just yeah. talked to the people out, you know, why is I watching the parade? And I was telling them, I'm like, hey, man, you know, I know what we need over here because I'm like, I've seen it. I've seen what happens with gentrification out over here. And I'm like, it's pissed me off. And I'm like, so what you need is somebody that actually care about the people. And I grew up coming from the South. I grew up caring about people because my grandmother, she raised us to watch over the community because she would always, I was telling the story at the church this past um, weekend, she would make a huge meal. And as a kid, you never understood that. You're like, why the hell are you making so much food? And it's only a handful of us over here. But what she would do is she would make a meal just in case people would come over that didn't have anything to eat or family members that, that didn't have anything or just want to come over and just break bread with everybody so we could all just be together as a family. So she instilled it into us as my siblings and I, because I have an older brother and I'm, I'm the middle child and younger sister. And you don't realize that when you get older and you start looking around and you realize what's missing around society now. It's that love and that compassion and making sure that people are taken care of and that if one person fails, all of us fails. And that you have to have some type of endearment towards your people. Even I mean, and people make mistakes, but you have to be forgiven about it too. And being able to help them to get themselves on a better track. So for me, to get back to your original question, that's been my biggest part of my campaign trail is promoting Team Hicks as homegrown and coming from the South is just showing the unity that I was brought up with growing up, coming up out of Macon, Georgia, into Stone Mountain. Wow, that's an amazing story. That just goes to show you how much stronger love is than hate. Um, well, I guess uh, that was an incredible uh, anecdote. Um, you have me at a loss, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's, you know, growing up here in Georgia, I mean, people see me because I look pretty young. And they think I'm 25, and I was like, man, if you, if you, I wish, because I'm like, that means I wouldn't have had to have gone through some of the things I've had to go through because 
I've seen the diversity here. I've, I've seen it grow, and it's, it's actually become a good thing. But I've also seen the racist parts here. And coming out of Macon, Georgia, is when at the time it was bad. It was nice because we were all kept to our own confined areas. So it's pretty segregated. But even still, you knew understood parts that you weren't supposed to go to because people was racist and you could potentially get hurt. Like we were told when we became teenagers not to go to certain areas because somebody will potentially hurt us. And I experienced that myself when I started, when I graduated high school and I started dating outside my race. And there's a place here that's called Gwinnett County. And in Gwinnett County, it wasn't as developed as it is right now because Gwinnett County is probably one of the uh, most diverse counties across this nation right now because we have so many people that flocked into Georgia and they harbored there because at the time it was low income. They had a lot of low income houses that were a great school district. But when I was growing up, it wasn't all that great. <laughs> and I, when I did it, I, I had my first date, a couple for my second date, I went to uh, some restaurant out in Gwinnett. And the minute I walked in, it's like every, it's like you see in the movies. It got quiet. You can hear forks drop on plates. Everybody started staring. <sighs> so and I'm like, I'm glad the way I'm glad George's not because it's not all doom and gloom. It's one of the things my wife tried to tell me. She's like, you know, everything is not doom and gloom. I'm like, it's great. I'm like, I love Georgia. I love Atlanta. I love how progressive we have come. I, I love how things have is income has gotten a lot better here if you work in the right part of the right industry in the right part of town. I said, but I also hate that what we've become because we've gotten so much into capitalism that we forced to push people out. Like when we got the Olympics here, all the, the project areas that we had, the uh, Section 8 housing that we had here, we tore all those pe all those houses down and we forced those people out of those communities out in the suburban area. And then we rebuilt them up and put golf course and everything out there for the Olympics. And I'm like, so what do you do with all those people? You push them in the suburbs. Or how are they supposed to survive? It's not my problem. And then we cut funding for SNAP. So they're not even getting as much as they used to. And then there's a limit on Section 8 housing. So people have this notion that people don't want to work and they say, you know, they want to live for free. But then they put a, a, a cap on how many how much houses are available for Section 8. So if you fall outside of the range, then you're stuck. You're out on the streets. You have to work three and four jobs just to take care of yourself. Uh, so I assume you are on board for the uh, guaranteed housing. Yes, yes. This has always been a part of my thing. Even before I started running for office, when I first, when they first created tiny houses, I was like, you know, why don't we implement? I'm like, something is this as much as like three or four thousand dollars. It's like, why are we not establishing self-serve communities right. and just give people homeless people? Because not everybody wants to be homeless. Now, do we have some people out there that don't that want to take advantage of the system? Absolutely. But we have rich people that want to take advantage of the system. So, like, so I can't beat one person down because they're poor and they're homeless. And not do the same thing for somebody that's rich and is wealthy because they 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 manipulate the system so they can get as much money as their pockets they can while they're screwing people over so yeah i'm for tiny house communities i'm like and then train them i'm like help them to have a farming industry teach them about like on the green new deal teach them about how to build solar power so they can have their own sustainable life within those communities itself and then they can feed it back into the the, the, the local economy right they just need power back into the power grid as they grow crops the, the excess crops they have, they can sell them in the farmer's markets. So I'm like, they can do things to actually feed back into society if you give them a chance. Right, it creates its own tax base, basically. Uh, that, man, what a great idea. That's another Come use on, for those I'm, empty I'm, warehouses. I mean, I'm, I'm an engineer, Charles. Come on, man. <laughs> no, I get it. You're, look, you're looking at it from a <laughs> systemic point of view. Yeah, I see some, you know, that's why I'm like, we, we need some more engineers in office because we look at things a little differently and outside of the box. Because I'm like, you know, tiny housing is great. We can take warehouses, the manufacturing plants has been abandoned. 
because well, what do we do with those nowadays? Like Atlanta. So we had what is the name of this place? It's a loft complex that they had downtown next close to our stadium. And it was old manufacturing plants. They turned it around, they gutted it all my good in them out and made it into a wealthy loft complex. I'm like, we can do that and we can sell lofts for like four hundred thousand dollars. Why can't we just clean those out? Make them a safe living space haven for uh, the, uh, homeless people. Right. I see. The same thing is happening down here. They're developing old plants into condominiums. Ugh. And there's a shortage of like Section 8 and low income housing. Man. It just goes to show you where the uh, priorities are. So. It, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going right. to ask you about your experience as a uh, systems engineer. How do you think uh, that'll inform your potential votes as a congressperson? So the one thing I have to tell people about when they say, well, what's your experience outside of my own community service work and stuff I've done? I was like, so one of the most experienced, one of the most, let's say I can't say that everybody has all the experience. One of the most experienced people that you can have on board is somebody that's, that's in IT. Somebody's working hardware and software because of the IT professional, we have to build things out. First of all, we have to understand how things work. Then what we do is we dissect them out. So we take them apart. So we like the tinkerers. We like to break things. And then we like to look in and see how it's working, fix it back up to tweak it and make it better or just put it back together to know how it works. And then what we do is test it to make sure it's working properly. We create test stuff around it and making sure it's working properly. We do a beta test on it so we can actually roll it out to certain people to make sure it is they, they like it to their own benefit. And if they want to add something to it, we can do that as well, too. And then we do the training on it. And then once that's all said and done, we create policy behind it. So all those terms of agreement, everything that people have to read, those come from IT professionals that have fed all that data up into the lawyers so they can add their own verbiage to it. So we actually, we build things, we test them out, and we build policy around it. So for us, we see things from a global perspective. So we see the entire world itself, but we also see what feeds into making it better. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, way systems interact with each other. Um. Hmm. So what kind of uh, information standards do you think, that, for instance, uh, the Congress might adopt with a progr more progressive uh, Congress? Like, are so you we need to get back to protecting our data. Like, I, One of the big things I, I hated that nobody really communicated is like the whole Russian hack. Like, so when I first announced my candidacy and I was being discouraged and they found out I was a security engineer, they was like, why aren't you talking about Russian hackers? Like, first of all, low-income families don't care about Russian hacks. They don't care about the data being hacked. I'm like, the creditors already messed up anyway because they're trying to get stuff on credit that they can get. And some people don't even have credit. And I'm like, they don't even under they don't even understand about their stuff being um, leaked. And I'm like, and then all the data breaches we've heard from Equifax to Home Depot to AT&T, I'm like, your data already exists on the dark web. And I'm like, then we're going to talk about the Russian hacks. I'm like, the, the, the voting system and then your um, registration system on two totally different servers. So I'm like, so what was actually hacked was your web server. Now, is it a bad thing? Absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, anytime you suffer a data breach, that's a bad thing. But they didn't get in and were able to manipulate any voting machines. So I'm like, so the, the fear that was pushed behind that, they didn't, they didn't inform the people enough behind what it was and what actually took place. No, they just used so, their fear. Yeah, it was. It makes it all oh, the Russians hacked our um our elections. It's like, okay. Not that aspect. No, they did. They didn't hack hack the elections. Yeah, they sent some phishing emails. They did manipulation. I'm like, did they get our uh, breach our systems, our frontal systems? They did breach our frontal systems, but 
they didn't hack the actual election systems. I'm like, I'm more concerned about local people than I am about somebody foreign outside of this country. I'm like, because I've seen those hacks before, but a person internally, somebody that's here actually physically present on the prim, those are the ones that we're taught and that those are the biggest threats that we have to deal with. Right, so for me, it would be holding um, the IT companies more accountable. Like they, we've, we've slapped too many people's hands on the wrist without making sure our data is protected properly. And then we allow them to sell users' data across uh, multiple platforms and stuff to make money off of it. And I get it that, you know, if, if it's a, like, face, like Facebook, people don't understand, okay, well, I got a free service. Well, they shouldn't have access to my data, but you gave them access to your data. But we still need to regulate how that data is being used. What would you say to, like, uh, anonymity standards, like having only, like, two, maybe three classifiers associated with any uh, account? Um, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, I would agree with that. So I'm like, is because I well, I know Facebook collects like what is it over 200 individual characteristics. Yeah, but it's it's, it's going into that's <laughs> a touchy subject, right? So I get what Facebook is doing. I get what a lot of them are doing is when they're collecting data and it goes into AI and for recognition and stuff, but um. I don't know. I think it should be more restrictions behind it, especially with the government having access to it too. It should be way more restrictions behind it because oh, yeah. I'm not for, I'm not for this whole deep state notion. I'm not for anything like that. I wasn't even for the Communications Acts of '96. I, to me, I'm like, okay, we've already gone through the Cold War. Is is time to give up spying on your people? I'm like, is you know, because you have your ISPs are monitoring your traffic. Your data, your your uh, internet, your, not what is the ISP, your um wireless carriers are monitoring your traffic. I'm like everybody's monitoring your traffic. If people knew how much we could see, it would it would freak them out. Which is why I don't talk a lot about our security a lot of times because they can be, can be depressing. Yeah, genuinely frightening. Like when we talk about what Prism was and what the NSA can do. Oof. Yeah, it's uh, probably a subject best to avoid. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if people ask questions on it, I'll tell them. But it's like I said, most things, because like I said, my wife tried to tell me it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah. In, in most aspects of it is good for monitoring. If you use if you're truly using it for monitoring and protection of society itself. But the bad thing about it is, is, is how much you're giving up and how much freedom you're giving up to allow people to see exactly what is you're doing. And I personally have seen that myself and the stuff that I was able to monitor and isolate down just for trouble resolution. Sure. But isn't it a problem where there's just too much data at this point? Like, wouldn't uh, even analysts be served by having just like a smaller, tighter subsect rather than the whole stream? No. So data can be a good thing, too. Like, I think we need to move our voter registration up to something more, a little bit more to where we are right now as far as data goes. But too much data, like what, what does it mean to have too much data? Uh, well, having more, so as I said, like the NSA, having access to the entire stream where they can just go on fishing expeditions rather than like, you know, targeted investigations. Yeah, so it's, to me, it should be locked down to a more like centric group that has access to those type of things. Because I mean, yes, they can put, you know, subpoenas in, but I'm like, you know, you've already accessed it when you put the subpoena in. You just want to get the blessing so you can cover it up if you ever get exposed for it. So 
I think we do need a tighter seal on who has access to what and how it can be done as opposed to just getting a subpoena. You would need more than a subpoena. You would actually have to get access and protocol ports open up through a certain group to get access to people's um, pipeline to their data. So I don't I don't think there's such thing as too much data because data can help us out. Like even when it comes to like your, your health issues, if a doctor had all your data on hand, it would help them out. But it's who has access to it. Like your NSA, well, uh, well uh, what we say in the streets, all the alphabet people. That's so right. <laughs> you don't want all the alphabet people having free reign access to all of your personal data. Can it be a good thing for certain people to have access to it? Yes, but it can be a bad thing on top of it. It's like a double-edged sword. Sure. Um, well, I guess uh, let's turn to something completely different and talk about the horse race. Who okay. is Hank Johnson? Also, you want me to talk about the actual incumbent. Well, I mean, you said you knew him a little bit, but uh, how has he man never managed to like go below 70% in this district after he beat Cynthia McKinney out for it? Because he's uh, he votes party line, and it's an all-Democrat district. I mean, it's all it's pretty much all-Democratic district. And he beat Cynthia McKinney out because people start people stop liking Cynthia McKinney because she was very vocal. So Cynthia McKinney would see a problem, and she wouldn't let you let the problem go until you solve the problem. And her dad was pretty much the same way as well, too. So she made a mistake, and I can forget what it was that she did, but he used that to his advantage to beat her out. Which is why I wonder why they didn't give him the same flag they were giving me. Like, how are you going to take out an incumbent? But they wanted her taken out of the system because at that time, the district was doing great. I mean, there was jobs plentiful. It, I mean, the district was doing phenomenal. But then the minute she was taken out and the money started getting shifted around, it went downhill and we lost our voice. Like, we realistically lost our voice within this district to where all the money got moved to certain areas within the district. And all of the poor areas where I grew up at, that was pretty much um, good middle class areas, went downhill. Crime started picking up, jobs got moved out, schools stopped getting funded. And it, it just, so for him, the reason he's in office is because people are comfortable. He's been in office for so long, people are, are comfortable. So one thing I've always heard, well, we've been waiting for a good candidate. I'm like, what does it mean to be a good candidate? I'm like, so <laughs> I think the, what's been told to me, the biggest fear is to have somebody weak come in and then have a Republican run and take their person out. But I'm like, how do you do that if the district is over 70% Democrat? I'm like, I, the Republican, because every time a Republican run, they might get 20% of the vote, and that's about it. Wow, talk about a straw man. So, I mean, like I said, the biggest thing that's been helping me out is the fact that I grew up here. So as I'm out on the trail and I'm saying that, people understand, okay, well, you know, he really has some skin in the game because my family was here, my, my friends all still live within the district itself, too, the people I went to high school with. So all of us still live in the same, which is weird for me, because I mean, I tried to leave the area and for whatever reason, the universe kept me here. <laughs> so, and I made every effort, I tried to leave the state. I mean, I really tried to leave because I've been in Georgia my whole life, but you know, I just, I end up hanging around. Yeah, I get so, that, I mean, the same problem with Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and I've heard, and it's, again, it's, I'm, I don't want to, I'm not going to beat the man down because I'm not going to be the type of candidate unless, you know, attacks me, but I'm not really going to beat him down. But it's, it's time for a change of the new. So you have, you need somebody in office that can, that can bring you over to where we are today as far as data goes and, and have a vision for tomorrow. Because realistically, there's no vision for tomorrow here. Because if there was, our malls wouldn't be closing down. We have three major malls here. One is already up for, almost up for foreclosure. One mall is not realistically a mall anymore, and they just lost one of their corner store, their, their corner stores, 
or the chain store and then the other mall is pretty much almost like a flea market so is to have those things going downhill and then on top of the crime and then you having people the police officer killing the one unarmed uh vet that was naked he was having a mental health breakdown and police officer shot him so he's fearful for his life and did speak out a bit against that to our DeKalb County system being overcrowded at one point in time to one one a couple of people in the Rockdale prison system dying of dehydration so Jesus it's a lot going on and they vote him in because it's you know it's like us going it's us, it's like us working a regular nine to five job we might be getting screwed over by our manager and we we gripe and complain but we get up and we clock in every single day and we are afraid to leave because of the tenure that we have there so we're afraid to have any type of change so the change i've been telling them i'm like you know i understand us as a society people don't like change and especially if it's a little bit uncomfortable i said but to change you always change in life i'm like even if you don't have money and you get money that's a change because now you have to learn how to live with having not have to worry about bills i'm like when the mother's giving birth to a child she has raised that child in her for nine months you have to go through a physical change i'm like if you lose your job and now you work in a low-end job until you get a better job that's change if you go from a small house to a big house so there's always change in your life but the change i am trying to implement and i'm going to implement within cd4 is a good change that they actually need so i have a plan to bring us into that next stage and that's what you need somebody with an idea and have and have the ambition to do just that and not just take note because one thing i heard from here he's not for term limits like he he is explicably said he is not for term limits <laughs> of course <all>. not <laughs> at one of his town halls and i will rant on him about this because i'm i'm like you know what if you don't like if you don't like cortez which is me if you don't like cortez and you want me to go it's time for me to go i'm like that's what democracy is for but he says now he's been in seven terms he said <laughs> you know most people coming into office it take them a good five to six turns before they learn how to do the job <laughs> and then once they learn how to do it you know that's when they got to really start getting in and um pushing things and getting stuff done around the area i said let you go to somebody's job and he used to be a lawyer i'm like well yeah, I'm like, he's a lawyer i'm like let you go to somebody's job and you tell them that i need 12 years of training before you can have me really working full time by myself and see what they say <laughs> nowhere in the world maybe no. a year <laughs> And like one guy asked him at one of his town halls, like, okay, what is your what is your vision now for CD4? And his response was, I'm only thing I'm thinking about right now is impeachment. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and, and I mean, I no guess lie. the Judiciary Committee, but what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it, no, I mean, it's no lies. It's not me making him nothing wrong. This guy came into, he repeated it again, because he was working on my campaign now. I saw him again Monday, face to face, and he was like, you know, it's sad because you know you need to be able to do two things at one time and i'm like really what are you doing with that you showing up asking questions and then you just you know clicking the box i'm like there's not much else you have to do with that yeah sounds like he's too comfortable in his job yeah he's gotten complacent he's forgotten about the people that's put him in office and for me you know that's unacceptable because again i mean and i plan to be transparent there's nothing that i won't present without talking to my people first nothing at all so even as i come up with policies i plan to use utilize technology i plan to pull do polls on twitter and see how people are liking them i do like plan to do like um twitch live streams on twitch which i'm getting ready to get started now playing games and stuff talking to constituents because you know i, I like playing video games and oh, nice so but then yeah I, i'm gonna be fully transparent because i'm like that's a problem that we didn't see until aoc 
AOC came in and she opened the door to see everything that's taking place behind the scenes and they hated her for that. Right. I'm like, that's what people need to see. Like I argued with one guy online. He was saying, you know, he was <laughs> he called me another fake uh copy and paste uh wannabe congressman that's coming in with all these these so-called ideas. And I'm like, there's nothing fake about me. I said, my thing is no most people don't even understand where their local tax dollars are going. I'm like, so why shouldn't you not be concerned about where your federal tax dollars are going and how they're being spent? Because we complain so much about what's taking place around our areas from road, from infrastructure not being done to like now I'm living in the food where well, we living in the food desert. So you had a lot of uh, dollar generals popping up, but hardly any grocery stores. You complaining about uh, wars taking place. You're complaining about all these jobs being because like in IT jobs being sent overseas. I'm like, you making all, all these complaints. I said, but those come from people that you actually put in office and you elect. I'm like, so wouldn't you like for them to actually tell you what they're getting ready to do and the policies they're voting on and get your feedback on it since you're the one that's paying their salary? Right. We got all this communications technology. Let's put it to use. Let these people right. know. <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thanks again, Antonio. I won't take up any more of your time. It was great to have you on the show. I mean, uh, you know with me already, man? Oh, no. I, I mean, we can keep talking. I... I, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, maybe we can talk again in the future. You uh, your primaries in what May May nineteenth? Can absolutely yes, talk again. Talk again before then. But I guess let me leave you with the one last question. Do you have a clear path to uh, what the twenty five thousand votes you need in the primary? Or well, right. So the thing is, we don't use. Um, well, yes, yes, I do. So my my path for getting to those votes are actually going out to the area where the votes are. They say the votes are won't come in from. So the low the the people that automatically vote, I'm already talking to them the guarantee votes. My focus right now is on the low income families in the district that I grew up in, to where they haven't been reached out to and the ones that've been forgotten about. And so for me, though, that's been my most important part of my my campaign itself, because people that's, the elderly are going to always show up to vote. You have everybody has their own um, personal agenda is going to show up to vote. I talk to those people and I have things set up and um, to go out and, and do things with them. But the biggest part of my platform is going to the areas where we've been forgotten, the areas where the sewage is being dumped off into the water system, the areas where the jobs have been lost that I was told not to even focus on. I was told to focus on middle class people and people that, you know, are actually going to show up to the polls, which is your seniors. And I'm like, but, you know, right. if we continue to do just that. Then how would they ever have faith in the system? Yeah, you're not growing your political base. Go to the places where people have lost all reason to vote for the system. Right. Uh, so I have a I have a plan for that. So my plan for that is not to go into any detail because I know you know you'll put this online, everybody will listen to it. But uh <laughs> <laughs> and just actually just to show my face out there and be present where they are, plan marches and stuff around the things that's important around the areas, because we have a big criminal justice thing that we need to focus on out here and getting people back into society. We have the women's maternal uh health crisis that's taking place here in Georgia that we have to focus on and we have to worry about health insurance because a lot of people in DeKalb County within this district, they don't have health care insurance. So as I go out, I'm out marching and I really mean marching like I'm having huge marches and stuff to actually get out, make these people aware of what's going on. And then also they can see my face, too, because I'm like, it's always good. just not as opposed to hearing the name and having somebody knock on the door, have somebody hand you a flyer to actually see the candidate's face and let you know that I genuinely do care. And I care because, and I know you, you, you got to go, but um, I'm for me, <laughs> I, I say I'm, I'm an advocate for the people because I've been to people. 
Like I've I really been to people. I, I've I've had to fight with uh, Crohn's disease and overcome that because I almost died from it. Uh, appendicitis. I've, I've lost my son out here, so my son is buried within this district as well too. I was homeless out here for two years with a degree, which is crazy. I've got an IT degree, so I was homeless out here. Couldn't find work with that. I had uh, lost everything that I have. So for me, and I've overcome it. So for me, I say I'm the advocate for the people because I've been those people. Now I haven't suffered all the woes that everybody has suffered, but I know what they're going through and I know the struggles that they face on a day-to-day basis, which is why I say, you know, I I do talk to the people that are guaranteed to vote, but my heart and my passion are for those that need the help and they need to see that somebody actually cares about them and has their best interests at heart and believes in them and wants to see them do better for themselves and come out of the situation that I was able to come out of and have somebody to actually really support them and encourage them and then show them that it can be better. Sure. What was the, uh, I heard you in, in a video say a great line. What is it? The uh, greatness is already within you. It just needs to be challenged out. Here's something it does. Lines. <laughs> the greatness. <laughs> you listen to my videos. Yeah, my affirmations, man. So, yeah, your affirmations. Greatness is already in you. You have to speak it over yourself every day and bring it to the forefront. And once you bring it to the forefront and you can vision it, then it will happen. So long as you believe in yourself, set a path forward, have faith in that path, and it's going to be hard, but continue to speak it over yourself, you will overcome those situations and those trials. Ah, uh, well, I'll try to make that my daily affirmation. Records, <laughs> 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 put that in a separate little MP3 I can play to myself. <laughs> Charles, it's in you, man. You're doing good with the podcast. It's like the, little, the younger guy I talked to his 15-year-old has a podcast. I'm like, it's an awesome job to be involved in politics at 15 years old and actually trying to get out and connect to people and talk to candidates. Because I've seen in this race that there's a lot of great candidates out here and they're passionate about it because they've been they've been had to go through trials and tribulations like I have in life. Mm-hmm. Even I went to the, the PCCC progressive training. There were a lot of people there that had uh, parents that had died. Uh, one young lady, she had to take care of her mom who had was suffering with cancer and she had and they, she was a native american and she had to help her through all those things while trying to go to school herself so a lot of us excuse me for this election season is very personal like a lot of people are saying that oh you're in the south or certain areas and people aren't really ready for that i'm like i disagree with that because if they weren't ready they wouldn't have elected trump i'm like they elected trump because trump was somebody different outside of the hat and he wasn't programmed to the system that was in there before i'm like but they didn't know really what they wanted I said, now they have an example of what they don't want. <laughs> like right. Change. Now, okay, not destructive change. <laughs> yes. Now you know what you really want, and that's what they're pushing for. I'm like, people are tired of hurting. I'm like, he went to low-income families, those neighborhoods that Hillary wouldn't even go to. And he talked to them, and he, yeah, he, you know, he fed them some, uh, some snake oil, but, you know, they believed in him. But but that was that's an example of what you're seeing that people are looking for. People are tired of being taken advantage of by this system. Mm-hmm. It's just communicating to them upon how it can be better. Yeah, and uh, well, Bernie Sanders and as you said, AOC have just put a huge spotlight on that and showed people what's possible. Yeah, and it's you know I'm 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 Team Bernie. Like I mean I, I have no problem with saying that. Do I? I mean I like I love Elizabeth Warren. I mean Elizabeth Warren has she was great while she's been in office. I like her, but I've always loved I've always loved Bernie. Like I got accused of being an AOC and I'm like, dude, I'm 41 years old. I'm like, AOC wasn't even around <laughs> when I was growing up. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I was like, I like AOC. 
I like the squad. I said, but that's not who inspired me. I'm like, Bernie has always been the guy because Bernie has been consistent. Now, do I agree with Bernie on everything? No, you're not going to find everybody. That you, you're not going to find one person that you agree with on everything that they, they're, they're trying to do. Nope. But the one thing I can appreciate about him, he has been consistent since day one. His his show has not changed up at all. It's been the same show since he was out uh, marching in civil rights all the way up from when he was uh, the mayor, the governor of Vermont, to when he got in office. I'm like, he has been the same person preaching the same thing for all of these years, trying to make sure families, middle class, and poor people were taken care of. So I'm like, so it's kind of hard to sell me on somebody else on how great they would do. Because I'm like, I have to look at, like all of us, we went through everybody's past. If I look at him, he's the only one that's really been doing it since he started. Right. Back when Elizabeth Warren was still a Republican and other people were, you know, anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get me started on those two, yeah. <laughs> Don't even get me started on Warren and Biden and the whole crowd. We, I mean, I, I think it's going increasingly looking like a landslide for Bernie, but we'll see how it plays out in the early states. They're trying to stack it up against him, and it's pissing me off because I'm like, because the same notion they fed us last time. Oh well, Bernie's out, so you need to support Hillary because Hillary is the the, the, dumb, the nominee, so you have to support her, or else if you don't vote for her, you vote for Trump. Well, you're not getting the same attitude this time, so everybody's like, well, what well, if Bernie's is not the nominee? Well, I don't know if I'm voting this time. I'm like, so why not the same attitude that you made all the Bernie supporters last time when Bernie went out and campaigned for her to make sure his supporters had to could see somewhat of a viable candidate to go against Trump. I'm like, so why aren't you giving Bernie that same respect? Hmm. Well, like it's cuts a little too close to the pocketbook. It, exactly. Is money. Money needs to be taken out of politics. Period. Hmm. Taken out of politics. It should not be that the only way people see you see you as being a viable candidate is based upon how much money you raise. To me, that's garbage because I told one person, I said, if I spend all of my days on the phone trying to raise money, when the hell do I actually talk to the people? Right. When are you getting out in front of them? As you yes, said, yeah, it's just a huge waste of time and resources. And even then, you're only connecting to like certain people with you know right. certain interests. Right. Because in this and that's a lot of things like I have. I will I will say this on your show. I, <laughs> I have not participated in a lot of the galas they've had because I'm like. If, if you have an easy event taking place and the cheapest tickets you have is $150, I'm like, you don't think the regular person will want to talk to who their, uh, their, their, their nominee, not nominee, but who their elected officials are? Right. I'm like, you don't think they want to talk? I'm like, why is it the only time they get to talk to their elected officials is during a town hall whenever they have a town hall? Right. Or maybe when they call the office. Right. I'm like, why can't they come out and they get all fancy up and come out and break bread and talk with you and have a drink? Just to see how you are as an individual, like just to really get to know who you are, and then talk about you know what maybe things that you might want to do to help change up the community itself, and what kind of bills or stuff that you're thinking about pushing out, or which ones you're supporting that's already been introduced. Right. So, I'm like, so when you have events like that, and 150 dollars not a lot, but 150 is a lot for a lot of people. Like yeah. when I was, for me, it's personal for me because I'm like when I was when I was homeless. Or when I was working in a minimum wage job and trying to get back into IT or corporate America, to $150 went a long way. And I always had to pay child support for my kids. So I'm like, so if you're having events like that, you're pricing individuals out that that really should have access to you because they're the ones that's putting you in place to be able to go to events like that. Right. And it, I mean, I guess they're just building their own data set with that kind of price, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So 
Yeah, for me, I'm I'm the most. I'm one of the most. I can't say I am because I'm not everybody. Mm-hmm. I am unconventional, and my my management she she tells me that's why they like me because I'm unconventional. I I speak to my from my heart. I I don't play politics. I do not play politics because I'm like when you play politics, you play with people's lives. That is not what I'm here to do. I'm here to make sure people are taken care of. And I'm glad I've been surrounded by a lot of great progressive candidates. So shout out to the Rose Caucus. <laughs> shout out to the Rose Caucus and shout out to the um, insurgents on uh, Twitter. Great group of progressive people. Half of them are running for office. They have great ideas, great policies that we've come up with together as a family. And that's what we need right now. We need some great progressive people to come into place that actually want to see a change for the betterment of our society. Well, I hope my producer can add a numerous applause throughout this because it seems impolite to have clapped while you were saying it. Not to mention, oh, it would have ruined the recording. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, again, thanks again, Antonio, for coming on the show. I hope we can have you again on soon. Uh, I have to admit, the unconventional approach is probably what the country needs. <laughs> yeah, thank you again for having me. Any way I can get out there and communicate to people that you don't even have to be a part of my district to be a part of Team Hicks. So, yes, if you want to know more about me, look at AntonioHicksForCongress.com. I'm on Instagram for it's Get Me Out of the Matrix because it's my personal, personal account. You can find me on Twitter at ACH for Congress, on Facebook at Antonio Hicks for uh, Congress. And then if you want to do a donation, go to AntonioHicksForCongress.com and we take small dollar donations from a dollar all the way through to donate a quarter. I'll take that too. <laughs> Let's leave the chip hat out, right? Uh, what's right. your Twitch stream? Um, What is that? Tell you what, follow me on uh, on Facebook or come to my Facebook page. I'll put it out there because I just set it up. Oh, okay. So I'll put my Twitch stream out there. I plan to stream at least once or twice a week. And I got a, it's a lot of candidates too. Like, um... I know you got to go. I know your show is getting cut short, but I will have Brianna Wu on there. Brianna Wu is one of the, the old school, old school OGs of feminist uh, programmers out there for uh, video games. So she and I have been talking and she was saying, you know, all the engineers should come to collaborate. So we are going to get on the Twitch stream sometimes too and talk together about policy and just play some games and have fun. Oh, sweet. What platform are you playing on? I play on PC. I'm a PC guy, so I, I'm a I'm a hardcore gaming rig. And then I have my Switch for my little cutes of games like Zelda and um. Like now, right now, I'm trying to finish, finish up Luigi's Mansion. Oh, I'm still in Breath of the Wild. So you haven't finished that yet? No, I, I keep getting distracted by Red Dead Redemption again <laughs> and everything else. <laughs> Such an awesome game. But yeah, um, I know you got to close out the show, but you want know, thank you again for having me out here. Uh, yeah, we, Team Hicks looking for some support. If you're living in the Atlanta area, you want to volunteer, I take some volunteers too. I'm trying to mass an army of 300 so we can get out and continue getting the message out. All right, thanks again, Antonio. No problem. Thank you, Charles. Days of sunny, days of rain, destroy the myth that will break our chains. Break your chains.